Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Movie Mentors. I'm your host, Jeremy Boros, and today we're chatting with the master acting teacher and on-set coach, Lee Kilton Smith. If you've ever seen or been on a movie set, then you know there's often hundreds of crew members working and scurrying all over the place. Cinematographers, costumers, set designers, they all have a second pair of eyes to support their work. However, one of the most essential roles is that of the actor, and so often actors are left to their own devices with varying levels of director input. Well, that's where Lee Kilton-Smith comes in. As an onset coach, she's a supportive and creative conduit between actors and directors. She's worked with some big-name stars, too, such as Jennifer Aniston, Zac Efron, Sam Rockwell, Gabrielle Union, Diane Lane, and John Leguizamo. She supported such directors as Alfonso Cuaron, Jon Favreau, Martin McDonough, Catherine Hardwick, Josh Whedon, and most recently, Guy Ritchie on Aladdin. As an actor myself, I know the incredible value of having someone like Lee by your side. That's why today, I'm so glad we can sit down and dive deep into the craft of acting with Lee Kilton Smith. The incredible Lee Kilton Smith. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> and, um... I could open with this by saying a quote from one of the students that you've worked with, hmm. Lee Kilton Smith, you know this one. Lee Kilton Smith is one of our best acting teachers today. She has an uncanny understanding of human nature and behavior. Lee finds choices outside the norm and yet remains always supportive of the overall story. She is incredibly inspirational when it comes to getting to the truth of the issues at hand. Lee cuts through the bullshit. Any actor would be lucky to study with her. Who said that? Uh, Essence? <laughs> it's Sam Rockwell. Sam said that? My God. Oscar winner Sam Rockwell. Oscar winner Sam Rockwell. Yeah. Well, I'm honored. Those are very kind words. Well, you've worked with some pretty incredible actors who are established and up and coming, and you're a teacher as well. You were my teacher. I'm just curious, what is the actor's job? I think the actor's job, simply put, is to provide a level of humanity and energy to a script, to take the story and lift it up off the page and give it human form, give it tissue and blood, and to sort of send us reeling into the story uh, in a way that that is unique and individualized, but at the same time supports the story. I mean, what Sammy said is true. I, I'm always aware of the overall story but I'm also attuned to the actor's responsibility within that story to make sure that the actor has something to hang on to as well. You know, it's such an intimate collaboration between what the writer puts on the page and what the actor does with it. It's beyond scope, you know, it really is the intimacy of, of a painter and its canvas, uh, the intimacy of sheet music and the vocalist it's there's there's a, an ultimate collaboration but the actors tasked with providing history resonance humanity and that's what fascinates me the flawed humanity not yeah. the perfect one so in in terms of what you do i feel like you have a very unique role um, within the industry. Uh, do you consider yourself an interpreter or a translator between directors and actors and writers? Sometimes, yes. Yes, many times. 
I, I find myself in the position of listening to someone give an actor direction that I know is not going to get them the result they're after. And so this goes with kind-hearted, communicative directors and with directors who really don't know actors and are afraid of them. I, I speak actor, and I've spoken it for many, many years. And so I can usually get in there and get what they're looking for pretty quickly. I feel like that's a part of my responsibility on set is to move quickly and get what everyone's looking for. Who normally is it that calls you? Is it the actor or the producer? It comes to me in a variety of ways. Sometimes a studio hires me. Um, sometimes the director will hire me. and Sometimes the actor hires me. My least favorite scenario is when the actor hires me because I believe in my heart of hearts that the actor should not pay for their own support. You know, the actor doesn't pay for their own hair and makeup people, unless they're big and fancy people. Um, the actor shows up and someone whose expertise is hair does their hair. Someone whose expertise is makeup does their makeup. And someone who speaks actor is there to support the overall production. I, I, yeah, I, I feel very strongly that um, the actor deserves that support, deserves someone who speaks their language. It's kind of sad in a way and also surprising that that would be the director, right? I mean, mm. that's historically why we have directors, what, what that relationship is. And I guess, would you say because the business has gotten so fast-paced and large-scale that the most essential relationship there has kind of fallen by the wayside and people like you come in and help keep that alive? I agree with what you just said. It, it does have to do with the expansiveness of our business, but it also has to do with the reality of the director's position. When he or she calls cut, there are usually between 10 and 15 people rushing to them for a decision. So the actor can be the one standing on stage uh, can I curse? Of course. Kind of with her dick in their hand going like, um, how about what I just did? Did Was that good? Was that bad? You want more? And in the meantime, the director is just inundated with all these people. Now, sometimes I see what's happening and I'll just go over to the corner, catch the actor's eye and give a thumbs up or just like a, a hand that says, wait a minute, they're handling some other issues. And I'll wait for the director to go in and give notes. Sometimes I think my position in that relationship is to support my director um, more times than not. I'm, I'm constantly aware that I am not directing the movie. I have no desire to direct the movie, but I do have a desire for the director to get what he's after. And when the, the, it just baffles me. I would never want to be a director. I can't imagine all those people, was the light in the right place to sound? Oh, she was, continuity, we've got to go. Oh, the light, you know, just on and on, the decisions they have to make every time they call cut. And then there's my actor, just waiting. Since you have no interest in directing, let's talk a little bit about your background. You started as an actor. You're from Texas. You went to New York. Exactly. Texas to New York, got there. I have kind of this personality. And so a lot of people were like, yeah, you should, you're going to be an actor. And I was like, I am? That's amazing. I can't wait. And through hook or crook, I got into one of the toughest acting classes to get into in New York with William Esper and spent two years with him beating the hell out of me, and rightfully so. And somewhere in there, I started coaching actors for their auditions. I didn't call it coaching. I was like, yeah, I'll read lines with you. And um, people started booking. 
And so I was suddenly aware of like, oh, I like this. I like the idea of teaching. It's all of the fun and none of the pressure. Mm. <laughs> okay. So would you say that what you teach now is your own spin on the Esper Meisner or your own thing or? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, it is my version because Bill spent precious few days on a set. So I feel like all teachers who have not experienced what the actor's life is like in the trenches may run the risk of teaching things that is going to be distracting for the actor when they're at their job. So I look for honesty on set. And that comes straight from my training with William Esper because it was about listening. And so within the world of authentic listening, there's an energy exchange and there's honesty and authenticity and truthfulness. And so, yes, that's all. But, but I, I don't walk onto a set and go, hi, I'm, do you have Meisner in your background? Right, right. Let's talk about this. <laughs> you know, I'm like, hey, I'm the coach. Don't be afraid of me. I'm here to help. Yeah. So you, so you also have to adapt to what the actor their background might be, their approach Absolutely. might be, kind of assess that, right? On, on, on Aladdin, I had Mina Masood, who was just th finished with his training, and then there was the wondrous Naomi Scott, who sat down in, in a very quick moment, let me know that she had no training whatsoever. And out of the two, I was so excited to be with both of them, because Mina has this energy and this dynamic personality and yet I could see that he would, in moments of vulnerability, lean on his training more than the connection. And with Naomi, I was always aware that she comes 150% at all times in any scenario. So for her, I was constantly just sort of like going, okay, let's, let's reel that back in a little bit. And when I say that, I don't mean to insinuate that she was big. It wasn't that. It was just getting them both calibrated so that their energies met at a level spot mm. so that one wasn't popping out of the other or one wasn't less than. And that's what I like about my gig, that I am challenged every time I walk onto a set going, what's this going to be like? What's this going to be like? I meet the actor in the cases where I'm hired by the studio or the director. I meet the actor and I'm like, holy shit, here we go. What's this kid going to do to me? <laughs> what am I going to do to this kid? <laughs> Would you say the conversations you're having with actors who are just starting their careers in a huge way like that are the same conversations you're having with students in your class and A-list established people like Sam Rockwell or Jennifer Aniston? Or I'm looking for a certain drive, a certain desire to collaborate and to go deeper. That's what I'm looking for in my classroom, someone just starting out or, or someone that's established. When you talk about Sammy, he's so into the expansion of a character that he's just a delight. And I, I don't work with Sammy on everything because he has an East Coast coach, Terry Knickerbocker, and they do beautiful work. But I love working with Sammy. I loved working with him because he's that kind of actor. But the thing about the beginner that I love is sometimes I spot a level of authenticity and I think, thank heavens you've come to me first because all the weird shit you've got going on, the odd sort of jerky, lurky, lankiness that you're walking in this body with, I'm going to preserve that. Mm. I'm going to make sure that stays. 
while you learn structure and while you learn story, I'm going to make sure you stay weird. And, and that's exciting for me. Beginner's brains are much more appealing to me than so-called expert brains. Expert brains, sometimes I have a problem with uh, just getting them to break out. Yeah. And I'll work for years getting them to set aside their expert brain in order to be connected and living more fully yeah. uh, in that connection. Thinking of so many people now as I'm <laughs> saying that. <laughs> no, I, lo I love that because I think it's true that, I mean, I come from a theater training, a conservatory mm. school, and the method there is, hey, we're going to break you apart, grind you down, mm -hmm. get everybody on the same neutral path, and then build you as an actor. Mm. Um, out here in LA, I feel like that's different, what you're saying with younger actors, yeah. beginner actors. And it just reminded me, just as a side note, I remember reading something about Jack Nicholson and everyone told him, you have to work on your voice. You have to change it. Yes. No one gets it. That's his defining characteristic besides his eyebrows is that, you know, voice he's got. So... <laughs> You, ha you do have to preserve that. What would you say to actors who are just leaving a conservatory program or an acting school and transitioning into film and TV professionally? Immediately, I would say find an acting class. Don't waste any energy. Don't waste any time. Put SAG affili affiliations, um, apartments, everything. Get your life taken care of and get into an acting class because that's your, that'll become your community. And even if it's a shitty acting class with a shitty teacher, you will have people that will go and from that class, from that experience and guide you into your new life in LA. I mean, it's, I think it's crucial uh, simply because there are no open mic nights for actors. So <laughs> you get, you know, you know couldn't even imagine. <laughs> no, right? That would be. And now, and now the salesman. <laughs> and monologue 337. Yeah. Stick around, folks. It's, um, for me, it's, it's, there's so many conservatory trainings that don't equip the actor to, pursue their own authenticity with that information. So many training programs I've encountered, not all, but most, um, are encouraging the actor to leap into their work, dragging their foundational training behind them or with them. Mm -hmm. This is a really complicated thing. And I always say any kind of training, any kind of preparation is what you leap from, not with, because the actor needs to be light on their feet. They need to be in a system of trust. So any training program that emphasizes, especially in those last years, trust, stop showing me your technique, stop showing me the class that you were in in freshman. Uh, now, let me see the actor. Let me see what you're doing with that information. And I have been in situations with actors where I was like, yeah, that's amazing. Nobody really gives a shit because <laughs> your moment right now on set is you and your training. And my relatives sitting back in Texas when they watch this movie are not going to be like, oh, look, his Meisner training is really showing up. They're like, <laughs> they're like, turn off this movie. Somebody get me a beer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're not. Yeah. Training well, is an interesting concept. Well, what would you say the difference is between theater acting and film? I think understanding your own energy, your own, I, I, I don't, I think the, the camera is 
such a great aid. It's such an assist, but it does read your mind. So you don't get to check out on camera. You don't get to have that moment upstage left when somebody dropped a prop and you're suddenly like, oh, fuck, how am I going to pick that back up? You know, you don't have that freedom with a camera. And so some people resent that intimacy. And I, I really am I'm baffled by that because it really invites you to listen with the totality of you. And so for me, it's this surrender that you've got all your preparation, you know the dialogue, you've memorized the lines, maybe you worked with a coach, maybe you haven't, but you're ready. And then that camera goes on and you're like, dude, come in here. I'm going to get quiet. I'm going to be intimate. I'm going to whisper in her ear. I'm going to back up. I'm going to have a thought. I'm like, what the fuck was that? Right? And theater is reaching farther so there is that that old philosophy of like you know the the you're reaching the back row and that's a different kind of energy so that's the thing that i deal with the most is just oh no oh no it's not about big or small i hate those terms i think i find them very punitive and they get stuck in you guys brains you you will sit down and you'll tell me in the first five minutes of meeting me that everybody thinks you're too big and i think what is that that's it's you're not too big you're dishonest. Mm -hmm. You've been dishonest in front of the camera. So you didn't control your energy. And in that lack of control, like most of us, when we lack control, self-control, you hit a dishonest level and you got feedback on that. And they used words like big. And you weren't big. You were just dishonest because you can do anything. Why can Sean Hayes do everything he does physically, and we laugh uproariously. Why can Matthew Perry do all of that stuff? It's not, they're not worried about being big or small. They just have to worry about being honest or dishonest. Mm -hmm. And so, so much of comedy is grounded in truthfulness, yes? So then there's the, there's the concept of like, oh, I can't do this that I do on stage. It's like, no, you can do all of it, as long as it's honest, as long as it's connected with the here and now. Yeah. Mm. Like that. Mm. So many gems in there. I love it. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> Let's just talk about preparation for a second. Mm. So an actor gets a, a script, they like it. What's the kind of preparation they should start doing before day one of shooting? Presuming there's no rehearsal, how should they show up? Depending upon the function of the character, if you're the pizza guy delivering pizza and you have one line, I want you to show up expecting a tip. I just want you to show up. It shouldn't be overt. It should just be in your mind. You should think the thought. I, I'm hoping this guy has a tip. This is a cool house. I'm looking at the house number, making sure it's right. I'm ringing the doorbell. I'm waiting. This pizza's hot. Like there's a whole array of thought to, to invest in that without getting too cluttered. Part of your job, I think, is to expand and then simplify. Expand and simplify. Because going back to Sammy, he's a master at expansion. But when he crawls in front of that camera, he knows how much of his energy can be spent. And so it all becomes very simplified. And the reason simplification is so important is because we want to get into your mind. Mm -hmm. We want to see what's going on in there. And so in that regard, when you get a new script... I am always advocating that you find a story that you believe in, that you want to tell. Now, that can be misleading for people. They're like, I'm coming in with the backstory of my mother just died. And I'm like, no, 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 no. 
We're dealing with a story on the page, but even within the world of that story, there is something else to be told. There is pain and anguish. Within the relationship that you and I have right now, we're two people in front of microphones, but there's also an undercurrent of connectedness and fondness and affection and trust and respect. And so for me, when you're first initially preparing, especially if you're on your own, you read it, you memorize it by rote, don't memorize it with feeling, don't sit and look in the mirror and run those lines. Take one hike with your script and then do four hikes without your script. Because when I see people at Runyon Canyon and they've got, they're clutching onto those pages, I just want to rip it out of their hands and say, this is not trusting. This is not trusting. You've got four pages of, you know, how I met your fucking mother. And you're like treating it like it's, you know, Shakespearean scrolls that were just dug out of a tomb somewhere. It's like calm down. Preparation is for me, about the fluidity of the experience. So the fluidity of being in a connection with someone and letting them affect the performance intensely. Um, The fluidity of going into an audition and sitting and connecting with the reader and seeing that, oh, I had so many plans, but this person is so much more interesting. Why? Not because they're a great reader, but because they are a human being, flesh and blood. And if I connect with that, then it's not about me. It becomes about the story. And the biggest thing about preparation is letting it go. Letting it go is such a challenge for you guys because you are in a position of vulnerability. When someone says it's time to do your job, they call action. What a horrible pressure. And I have been on sets with directors who don't use that word anymore. Um, mm-hmm. They're just going, we're rolling whenever you're ready. I love them. But there's um, that, that, that idea of like action, it, it insinuates that you've got to step outside of where you are to do what you've come to do. And I'm, I'm very much of the mind that preparation and, and performance should be a lateral experience, that there is a level of preparation that allows you to walk into the room confident, allows you to walk onto the set confident, and confident enough to allow yourself to be played, mm-hmm. Right. And when an actor prepares with me, you know, we come into this office and we have a great time, we laugh, we kibitz, we make notes about things, and I'm constantly reminding actors that these notes are not to be adhered to. They're possibilities. So put them in your back pocket and they'll more than likely show up. But if you stop having a connection in the moment to run and grab a note that you and your coach came up with two, three, four days ago, I'll fucking, I'll stab you in the head. <laughs> I'll just hit you and beat you. <laughs> but but if you're if you're alone and you're preparing mm. and you're trying to figure that out, that's an audition question, especially right. for me. It's how do you know when you've prepared enough? Ah, that's an interesting question. That word enough brings up all kinds of issues because if you're worried that you haven't prepared enough, then what you're ultimately saying is, I don't know if I'm enough. Mm. And when you parallel those two thoughts, you suddenly see oh, well, I'm now worried about stepping beyond who I am and I need to stop that. I need to step back into my own skin and trust that you're lovely. You have gorgeous brown eyes. You're funny. You have a sweet smile. You're so gentle and lovely. And oh my God, what character would not be lucky to fall into those hands, to fall into those laps, as long as you keep those elements of yourself present. So a villainous character, someone who rapes and pillages, a pedophile, you know, these, these extreme characters that, that hopefully no one has too much of an understanding of. It's still your job as the actor to delay judgment enough to understand 
what story they are telling themselves to justify their shitty actions. And the minute you, well, I can't say shitty action because then that's a judgment. Figure out what story they're telling themselves to, to justify their actions Illegal and you'll be in there. <laughs> Illegal action. You'll be in there. You'll be in their skin. That does come up frequently is how much of yourself do you bring mm. versus you get these breakdowns that say, oh, the character is nerdy. The character, you know, has mother issues, blah, blah, blah. You can't play all that, but it definitely, I think, crosses every actor's mind of, okay, well, what do I do? Do I put on glasses? Do, do I make right. him sound more nasally? Because then you're talking about artifice, like you're saying, yeah. um, you know, is that, is that pushing? Is that showing as opposed to finding some other internal living? Yeah, yeah, showing as opposed to living truthfully. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a trap. You know, those breakdowns are they're they're horrible traps. They're rarely actable. They're almost always recounting plot, and it just makes me so crazy. Every once in a while, just this past week, there was a, a breakdown that had some very actable actions in it. It spoke in terms of actions, emotional actions, and that was very helpful. It's um, I, again, it's you guys are saddled with so many different jobs, not the least of which is plowing through all the plethora of information that's available to you now. So you get a script that's based on a book. You go by the book. You read the character. You go back to the script. The script's not the same as the book. Oh, my gosh, do I do what's in the book? Do I do what's on the script? It's it's endless, the amount of things that, that happen. That's why I believe that it has to be returned to you. It has to be returned to you. You're, you're a handsome young man. You pick up sides that say he's nerdy. I don't think that's any adjustment other than caring about things that you might not typically care about. The, the, the nerd cares about stuff that I don't. The nerd cares about this keyboard or this computer, or maybe the nerd cares about the uh, Fortnite. Maybe they can be, you know. So there's a, a variety of, of affections to explore. And then there's also what, what are they rejecting? Uh, rejecting societal pressure to wear something other than, you know, tennis shoes and, and shorts and a, a Grateful Dead t shirt. I don't know. But when you're going in, I want them to see you. I want them to see you with that awareness of like, oh, okay, I see why they've called me in. I understand the function of this character. And that's, that's key for me on some roles, recognizing that this character is going to come in and give information that's going to take our hero or our heroine and upset the apple cart. Oh, okay, so he's got to come in and throw everything away. He can't come in acting like he's got important information to share, right? So then he's he comes in, he says his bit, and he leaves, and he shows up a little later at the bar and does it again. He shows up in the third act, and he's like, oh, my God, I didn't mean that. I was talking about the other girl, right? So yeah, all these characters come about as a result of the writer needing someone to move the action along. And so I think it's, it doesn't hurt to be smart about, about certain characters. But breakdowns, I just find are so silly and you've just got to be careful of not being one more person wearing a black leather jacket out in the hallway auditioning for the thug, you know, come in, adjusted, adjusted. There's certain volume knobs that you turn down about yourself and others that you turn up. And again, that has to do with your understanding of humanity and why we do what we do. So you're not, you're not, necessarily ruling out this character would never act this way or do this. You're just adjusting the volumes within yourself and trying right. to find a personal connection to things that maybe you wouldn't ordinarily find as interesting. Exactly. 
So how much emphasis do you put on script analysis? A lot. For me. Mm -hmm. um, I don't put that on the actor because I feel like part of my job is to not guide you into a place that's too cerebral. I just, I work with actors and I, and I deal with the, I deal with the story. I'll say like, oh yeah, that first scene, that's amazing because we can get a payoff in that third act. And so I've taken screenwriting courses, taking so many courses that seem strange for an acting coach to take, but it's always with the same goal. I mean, there are certain actors that I work with that we get in here and it gets, it gets cerebral pretty quickly, but it's usually actors that I trust enough to know that that's not going to be the performance, that we can get cerebral with, the, with this stuff. But for me, script analysis is important. I want to understand the writer's goal. I want to understand what they're about. But not for the actor in terms of saying, oh, I need this in this scene. This is what I want. Mm -hmm. Here's my as if here's mm -hmm. objective, I, I, whatever. Yeah. Words I mean, I, I advocate that any actor live in their preparation the way that they do, the way that they uh, feel serves them the best. So if there's an actor who likes to get into script analysis, by all means do it. Um, is it something I advocate hugely? Not always, not always, because we can get, it's, it's, I'll tell you a version of it. It's dealing with an actor who comes in and sits down and has written 43 pages of backstory. Mm -hmm. And I immediately, it takes every fiber of my being not to put it in the shredder. But because the person's worked hard on it and because they are not, and I will get into the script now and I'll see that their backstory has complete control of them. They're so in love with what they've come up with. And so it's all very cerebral. Well, but the backstory doesn't really support that if I do that. And I'm like, fuck your backstory. We're in this story. This story is what we've come to see. This is what we've come to tell. So it's within the world of analysis, people, I think, go to scripts oftentimes to diminish or to become smaller versions of themselves. And I like the idea, the concept that an actor goes to a script with the idea of like expanding themselves, of, of seeing uh, the script as an expansion. And again, this goes back to that beginner's brain and expert's brain. The beginner's brain sees all possibilities and the expert's brain sees very little because they're blinded a bit by agenda and goals. Um, they don't want to appear foolish. And the beginner's brain is like, fuck it. I'll, I'll jump up. I'll do this and have somebody go like, yeah, don't turn over the furniture in the office. You know, <laughs> I love that story. I love that story. But could you do it again? Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, exactly. Well, then it sounds a bit like your approach is looking at things with a holistic view mm. of what you're doing in the story what the information is the directors this is on set is giving you mm. and less about your personal individual agenda because we don't want to be acting out our blueprints we want to be living in the truth of the moment and mm. how many times you can prepare something so well and then all of a sudden oh we're changing the dialogue or oh you're going to sit here now and do this and you get completely thrown Yes. Because you've created what it's going to look like in your head. Yes. So it's what you said. It's the ideal. That's beautifully articulated. It's the, it, you, you get stuck acting the ideal, the idea of it rather than the actual, uh, rather <laughs> than the exchange. It's, um, it's, it's, it's a challenge, but oh, it's, it's, it's vital. 
it's vital for you to stay and feel alive. You know, I have a, a an actor who I met when he was 19, 18 maybe, I think 18. And he did his first scene in front of me in class, in a packed class. And I watched him and he was just a train wreck. And so when it was over, he was waiting for his critique. And I said, oh my goodness. I was like, that was just the worst acting I've ever seen in my life. And you were so awful in the scene. I said, but here's the good side. You're fucking weird. You're a weirdo. <laughs> and I said, so here's what we're going to do. You pinky promised me that you'll stay with me for at least three years. If you're sick of me at three, you can go away. I was like, but I'm going to keep what's weird about you and I'm going to teach you just some basic story structure. And so he's such a unique personality and he started booking a couple of years later, he started booking and he was doing lovely work in class and everywhere. And people started ca catching on to him. Then his brain became so fertile and he was so uh, attached to comedy that he would go to these sets with these fantastic ideas and uh, really great renderings of the scene. And they would say, no, we don't want that. And he just kept getting no, no. And he just started feeling like he was just batted down, right? And then he found the set where they were like, oh, we love that idea. Can you do another idea like that? Wait a minute, in the next episode, we'd love to see you do this. And now he's on one, two, three shows, one a one-hour drama, another uh, a comedy, uh, and the other is a comedy as well, a situational, uh, not situational, a fem family comedy, sort of a dramedy, and he can't stop working. But he had to find his way. He had to be told a thousand no's, and that's brutal for you guys because an idea is such a fragile thing, isn't it? So you go like, here's my idea, and everybody's like, takes a shit out, and they're like, nope, 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 nope. Can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. And you just walk away going like, oh my God, I thought it was such a good idea. And the thing that I teach is it was a great idea. It was a great idea, and you need to know that and own it. But it doesn't fit within the vision that you've agreed to participate with. Mm. In the spirit of collaboration, your vision didn't fit. Their vision presided. And I think that's key for actors to understand. It's not as personal as it feels. Mm. Yeah. Embrace your weird and know that you can't control 99% of what goes on. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I want to just go back for a second. Yes. You were talking a bit about I think it was Sam Rockwell, or just in general, film is a medium where we can get very intimate. Mm -hmm. We can read thoughts. The camera reads thoughts. That's that's what you, you were saying. Mm -hmm. And it's behavior, right? In theater, we talk about stage business, which feels detached. Behavior feels like an extension of oneself because it is in the character. That has always, it's the most interesting thing to watch because mm. I think we would agree dialogue is generally a mask for what's going on underneath. Exactly. So how does an actor in his or her preparation discover this behavior, the, the physicality for an audition or through the process of shooting? Mm. How do you do that without 
doing it. Mm-hmm, that makes mm-hmm. sense. I hear you. When you're walking onto a sound stage and the world has been created with it for you, and you're standing opposite another actor, I think it's quite easy to find rehearsal uh, to find behavior in rehearsals. Sometimes rehearsals are not held; they're already blocked when you show up. But even in those circumstances, I've rarely been on a set where if an actor was like, I, I know this is where we, but this doesn't feel right because I feel like I should be close, you know, whatever the story is. And most people are fairly amenable at that point. I think in the world of your preparation, I mean, Sandy said it, living truthfully under imaginary circumstances, but it's it's the living truthfully that gets discarded uh, sometimes. We don't really hear those words, living truthfully. So if the character is far from you, um, live in his skin for a little bit. Go take a drive. Go take a drive. Listen to a podcast. Go, uh, go, go to Trader Joe's. Go walk around the world, you know, in, in that skin a little bit. It needn't be so method that you uh, attract attention to yourself. If you're attracting attention to yourself, you look like an actor preparing. Um, so <laughs> you should be able to live quite naturally, quite organically in that skin. Think those thoughts of that person. If it's someone that's fairly close to you, well, I think that's a little bit of an easier gig. But that living truthfully, it's its remarkable to me what we've done with theater and television and film. It's somewhat kind of what the divisiveness that's happening in our country in a way. We push these artists over into separate corners and we've labeled them. You're a soap actor. You're a daytime actor. Mm-hmm. You're a nighttime actor. You are a stage actor. You are a film actor. And it's like, dude, actors are fucking actors. I just saw, not just, but a few weeks ago, a few months ago, actually, saw a production of Much Ado About Nothing in Central Park, Mm. directed by the amazing Kenny Leon. And it was upgraded, updated so beautifully that it was cinematic. And yet the language never changed. It was incredible. I think that if we stop labeling and pushing everybody in the corner, we can learn from each other. Because I do think there's something about cinematic acting that implemented into theater just raises the game a bit. Yes, your vocal energy. Yes, your physical presence. Yes, all of that counts in the theater and you must have that present. But other than that, the idea of listening, I've seen more theater with established actors that I just wanted to stop the show and say, I see you. I see you looking at the audience. You think you're being slick. I see you not listening. I see you going for the prop before it's being asked for. I see you. Now let's start again. <laughs> let's go back to start marks, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and this time let's have some listening. Right. To answer the question of the behavior and the physicality, you're saying just try living that character's life for a few days. Walk around mm. thinking the thoughts, not running your lines as the character, mm. but just thinking the thoughts. How does this person... What lens do they view the world through? Yes, that's amazing. And have fun with it. And Have fun with it. It's a fool's game. So don't come into the world of art and not want to appear foolish, especially this art form. You're wearing someone else's clothes. You're learning someone else's words. You're hopping into bed with strangers and calling it work. It's the foolish, foolish, foolish best, best game in town. I think it's the most awesome game. Mm-hmm with the most awesome players. I do too. 
when we're lucky to do it. Yeah. So what advice do you have for actors who might be in a career slump or just starting out and haven't had a break and are just in that rejection sort of mode? How, how do they keep their spirits afloat? What should they be doing? Man, that's, it's, that's one of my favorite scenarios. That and the actor who's had some success and now is in that slump because those are the ones that I, I envision sort of floating on the surface of the water waiting for a life preserver to be thrown them. And all I want to say to them is swim. Swim for the shore. You don't need a life preserver. It's, if your life is in such a state that it's not interesting to you, then what the hell are you creating from? You came here to live a life. Full, beautiful, rich, engaging life. So why is it all being distilled down to you checking your iPhone every 10 minutes to see if they're going to call you back? It's, it's what I teach is end the audition and get up and go back to your fascinating life and make sure it's fascinating because that's the nutrition for the artist. That's the new, go get your heart broken. Go make babies. Go travel. Do something. Do something that, that takes your life and turns the soil into something really rich and, and, and beneficial for the artist. If you're, if you're in a slump, it's probably because you're wanting it too badly or you're suffering from the cancer of comparison, which is common in this town. My friend got that. How did they get that? They're not as talented as I am. I can't even imagine. I can't get a break. I need to be lucky. Luck has nothing to do with it. All it has to do is opportunity and preparation arriving at the same time. And so some of that preparation is training with an acting teacher. But a lot of that training that we speak of is how well you understand the world. So you know, go adopt a senior, go sit in those smelly, disgusting rest homes and hold someone's hand who's not going to be here much longer. Go read poetry at uh, uh, some open night mic night. Go do some things that scare the shit out of you while not harming anybody else or harming yourself. I just think that it's about the industry needs to exist within a life, not the other way around. An industry, just the name just that word, industry, the connotation of like smokestacks with smoke billowing out and cold gray steel buildings. It's the industry of show business is no different. It has no emotion. It will only give you that which they believe will benefit them. So we are buying your passion for what you do. You come in depleted, depressed, and desperate. We got nothing. What, what are we going to buy? We've got enough of that. I'm going to leave this office in this highfalutin studio and I'm going to go home. I've got plenty of that. But what I want is to see the light on you, the light in you rather, the light in you turned on to its brightest, that you love what you do and fuck everybody else. Fuck whether or not they hire you. Fuck whether or not that you're an actor before this audition. You'll be an actor during the audition. You'll be an actor after the audition. These people don't get to tell you what your life is. You get to do that. So it's a little, it may be a little woo-woo new agey, but I've seen people pull it together and rise from the ashes. I teach a thing called I'm Just Beginning, and it's connected with my desire for beginner's mind. And that came about when a woman in her 40s sat in the chair that you're sitting in. She had Broadway credits, beautiful creature, gorgeous, fascinating, and she was weeping 
weeping that she just felt like it was the end of the road and that there was no place for her gorgeous creature and I'm just watching her and watching her and watching her and out of nowhere I just said okay take that post-it note and write the following words and she was like what and I had her write I am just beginning and I said I want you to put that on the back of your door and I want whatever door you come in and out of and I want you to remind yourself constantly I'm just beginning I'm just beginning how do I know I'm just beginning it's not negating your life's experience it's not saying that you have nothing on your resume it's about a mindset so that the beginner is fascinated. The beginner will sleep on someone's floor to be in LA. The beginner will audition for thug number four in a Verizon commercial and be excited about it like it's an Academy Award winning job. The beginner has all of the answers and she did it. And if this sounds self-grandizing, self-grandizing, I don't mean for it to, it's about the artist's spirit. She started believing that and she hasn't stopped booking in years. She's on a series in England. She's on a series here. She's, yeah. It's so that, that slump, we want to run from it. And I think there's valuable education in there. If we just sit still in it, if we just go like, okay, all right, what, what am I supposed to be here learning in this smelly shithole of, of sadness? Um, that it didn't arrive when we expected, well, that has to do with my expectations, doesn't it? It doesn't have to do with anything else. Oh, my expectations. Was my whelm overed? I got overwhelmed to eat. Well, I need to get a larger whelm, right? It was just, we kind of, we just forget that it's all expansive and it never ends. I don't think. <laughs> I hope not. Ah. <sighs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. I love you. I love you. And that's our show, everyone. But great news. This is only about half of my interview with Lee. So if you enjoyed it, stay tuned for a part two. Just follow our Instagram or Facebook page at Movie Mentors Podcast so you can keep tabs on what's happening and to check out some cool behind the scenes content. If you'd like to learn more about Lee, please check out her website at www.leekiltonsmith.com no hyphen. And we'd also like to mention that Lee is part of an amazing organization called Friends of El Faro. It's an orphanage based in Tijuana, Mexico. There are dozens and dozens of incredible kids down there who need food, education, and safety. If you have the means to donate or are simply willing to share about this important place, please visit www.friendsofelfaro.org. That's friendsofelfaro.org. Thank you. And speaking of thanks, I'd like to thank Gabe Sokoloff for the music on this episode. Be well, everyone. Take good care.